This is Dr. Jimmy Nichols, equine nutritionist. On this podcast, we will explore unique cases, debunk popular myths, and break down advanced research data. Join me for a little fun, a lot of science, and some real-world advice for feeding horses. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Jimmy. I wanted to try to get an episode put together and get it out to you guys before the weekend. I think a lot of you probably try to listen to this um, on your drive time, maybe to different shows and things. So um, it is Friday afternoon. It is June 5th. And um, there were a few things that I guess I've experienced in the last oh few days or a couple weeks um, that I felt like were maybe good learning opportunities to share with you guys. So this particular episode might feel a little bit random. There's not one particular topic, um, but I do have a handful of things that I think are important to talk about um, and just share kind of my experience with them and maybe a little bit of insider information around each one of them. So the first one I want to start out with is uh, blister beetles. So uh, earlier this week, I walked out my back door to go feed my horses, and all along the driveway in the grass, there were these moving objects, and I mean just in masses. And I knelt down to look a little bit closer, and sure enough, they were blister beetles. So I live in western Oklahoma. Again, it's the first weekend of June, um, and the blister beetles are here. So for those of you who um, don't understand or realize maybe the importance of that, um, blister beetles can be very toxic to horses if they ingest them. Um, so if you are getting alfalfa, if you're purchasing alfalfa um, from someone who has produced the hay in um, a particular area that has blister beetles um, prevalent, you, you definitely want to pay attention when you are feeding that hay. So for example, right now, this week, I mean, there are clearly blister beetles in my area. Um, there are alfalfa fields around where I live, and there are people who are cutting and harvesting alfalfa. So if that alfalfa were to be fed to horses, um, the people who would be feeding that horses definitely would want to be looking at those flakes of alfalfa and make sure that they didn't run into um, a patch of blister beetles. So typically what will happen is those beetles will come in and they really do come in just like this massive swarms. I mean, you can, you know, when they're around and they will land in the field and they'll just, you know, go to town eating lunch, (laughs) eating that alfalfa. And if the swather comes through and cuts that hay and lays that hay down over the top of those beetles, basically they can become just essentially become entrapped in that. Um, Or if they come in and swarm and eat on alfalfa that's already been laid down, and then the baler comes along and bales them up in the bale, um, that's basically how you end up with blister beetles in alfalfa. So they're not small bugs by any means. I mean, they're, they're pretty large in size. And so when you're feeding your hay, you know, if you're paying attention to what you're feeding, um, you can usually see them. It's not like they're the size of gnats. I mean, they're probably, you know, about as long as, as the tip of my pinky. Um, you know, they, they're, they're a beetle. I mean, they're, they're big. Google it. That'd be easiest. Just Google a picture of of blister beetles (laughs) and you can see what they look like. And that way, you know what to look for when you are feeding alfalfa, if you are feeding alfalfa. Now, typically, um, the farther north and west that you go, um, the less likely 
you are to have blister beetles. And, you know, I probably should have looked this part up before I started talking, but um, I've been told that there are particular regions um, of the United States where the blister beetles don't exist. I don't know if that is accurate or not. So I'm not even going to say that region because I don't want to start spreading misinformation if that's not true. Uh, but maybe uh, you, you guys can Google it while you're listening and, and I'll be sure to look that up later as well to see if there is truly a geographic boundary for where blister beetles do and don't exist. So, um, you know, not, not a lot around that topic. Um, basically what happens, horses eat those beetles. Um, it can actually cause blisters and sores in their mouths. Um, and then they actually have a toxin that can be released and, and is very toxic to horses. So you definitely want to avoid blister beetles. Um, if you do choose to feed alfalfa that has been produced from some of the lower states, um, that, you know, you know that blister beetles are prevalent. Uh, just be conscious of when that hay was cut, what time of year, um, you know, and then certainly be vigilant when you're feeding. Look at your flakes, you know, inspect them. And if you notice any kind of strange bug in them, if there's any question, just don't feed it. Take a picture of it. Send it to your local extension agent. Um, there's lots of people out there who can actually help um, identify those bugs for you and help you out. So there's my little uh, blip on blister beetles. Now, the next personal experience that I had is I walked into my feed room and I had, um, well, I say feed room. I don't have a feed room. I have a feed bench that is inside of a large barn. And I had left um, the sliding doors open on my barn on both ends overnight. I just wanted some airflow to go through there and, and didn't really think too much about it. Um, <laughs> the next morning I actually went in to feed horses and I noticed that my pail of ADR powder, okay, which is a pre and probiotic supplement that I use on some certain horses in, in different situations. Uh, my, that pail, the lid was flipped up and there was powder that was actually spilled out onto the bench. I thought, well, that's really strange. You know, I've got two children, uh, one in particular, my son absolutely loves to climb on things. And so I'm always having to pull him off of the stacks of feed and off of the hay bales. And he's always trying to climb up on that bench and get into my buckets of supplements. And so I thought, well, maybe Merritt had gotten in there and was playing in the powder. So I get a little closer and I see footprints <laughs> moving from the powder pile all the way across the bench. And uh, there had been a raccoon that had gotten into my supplements, had opened the pail of ADR powder, ate it, played with it, spilled it, walked in it, and then <laughs> left little footprints all down the bench, all the way over, then leading into my open feed bag. And I go to scoop my first scoop of feed out and I noticed that there is also a tick on the feed bag. So not only had the raccoon eaten my uh, horse probiotic, he had made a mess of my feed bench and he had also left behind a tick for me uh, when I went to actually feed my feed. And so, you know, all of this is a little bit humorous, but what I wanted to share with you guys is we a lot of times don't think about um, pests and rodents and things that can actually get into our feed that can then cause problems for our horses. 
So let's take EPM, for example. Let's say that um, a possum had actually been what had gotten into my feed room and done all of this. And let's say that that possum may have, may have uh, when he was inside the feed bag, he may have defecated or pooped in my feed. And if I didn't realize that that had happened and he happened to be um, carrying the, the protozoa that causes EPM in horses, I would have unknowingly fed a scoop of feed with possum feces or or residue from possum feces uh, directly to my horse, and I would have never known it. Okay, which would have then exposed that horse to EPM, and and if his immune system wasn't working properly, and if he, uh, you know, let's say maybe that horse was suffering from leaky gut or had some kind of um, you know dysfunction with the intestinal lining that allowed things into his body that would normally be kept out. Um, I would have unknowingly exposed my horse to EPM. So, you know, it's really important to make sure that uh, you close your barn doors, lesson learned there for myself, uh, and then make sure that the containers that you are putting your feed in um, are rodent proof. Okay. You know, so like for me, yes, I had my feed bag in a plastic tub. It was raised up off of the ground. You know, it felt like it was a very, uh, sanitary, secure situation, but obviously a raccoon was able to just trot along the bench and hop over onto my feed cart and get into my feed. So I should have, I should be either rolling my feed bag down <laughs> and, you know, maybe laying something heavy on top of it to, to make it more difficult for those rodents to get in there or um, pouring my feed into a tub and then actually using um, a lid that would seal on that tub to keep my feed, you know, as fresh as possible and prevent uh, raccoons or other rodents from trying to get into it. So there is my little blip on uh, my raccoon experience. Now, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about was grass clippings. Okay, so we're, it's the first of June, we're getting into summer, uh, the grass is green, you know, people are starting to mow their lawns. And a lot of times I'll see people go mow their lawn, and they will take that whole bag of lawnmower clippings that's been collected, and they will go over and dump it over the fence for their horses. Okay. Or if they don't do it, maybe their neighbor does, right? So, you know, I, and I get the logic. I mean, I get where they're coming from, right? You've got this whole bag of really nice green grass and you're thinking, oh man, those horses would love this, you know, whether it's your own horses or, you know, maybe your neighbors thinking this, like, oh, those horses just look so hungry. I'm going to go dump these lawn clippings over for them. Okay. Do not do this, please. Okay. That, that can actually lead to a few things that can be really dangerous for a horse. So first of all, um, those lawn clippings are going to be really high in moisture content. Uh, they're also going to be very high in sugar content. So when you have a whole pile on a warm day, a whole pile of moist lawn clippings sitting there in a deep pile, okay, with the heat of the sun pounding on them, it doesn't take too long before that starts to ferment. In the middle, it starts to heat up. You can start to get some mold and some toxin generation, okay? So if you've got a really big pile and only one horse and it takes him a few days to get through that pile, um, he can actually get to certain areas of that that could actually have 
um, some different mycotoxins and molds um, that could could really cause some some digestive damage and some problems. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is uh, that that grass again has high sugar content. And so if a horse is not used to eating grass in particular, and then you go dump all of those lawn shavings there, okay, first of all, they're small in size, so they're going to digest and break down very quickly. They're going to move quickly through the digestive tract. They're going to be high in sugars. And the horse's digestive system is not going to be able to process, break down, and absorb all of those sugars in the small intestine as quickly as it needs to. So you're going to end up with this overflow or this spill of all of these sugars into the hind gut, so into the cecum. And when that happens, that's where you can actually cause um, founder or laminitis um, because you get just a major starch and sugar overload into uh, that hind gut and it shocks the microbial en environment that's not used to that. Okay, so it changes the pH dramatically which then causes the good bacteria that live in the gut, um, it, it makes a pH level that they can't survive in, okay? And so they quickly can die while the not, the not so beneficial bacteria, okay, let's, let's call them the bad bacteria, uh, that do thrive in that environment, okay, they will quickly populate. So there's a lot of different things that, that can happen there that can cause, you know, it may be just a mild gas colic. It could turn into just, you know, full-blown laminitis founder. Okay. Um, and then especially if you have a pony or a draft horse or any kind of horse that is uh, very sensitive to starches and sugars, I mean, like those horses, we want to keep them off of green grass period, even if they're out on a pasture, right? If they're really sensitive. So one of the worst things that you can do for those horses is to go dump a big pile of fresh green uh, lawn clippings in front of them. Okay, so just be mindful of that and resist all urges for uh, dumping those piles of clippings in front of your horses. The fourth thing that um, I had on my list to touch on with today's episode um, is horses going off feed. Okay, again, another uh, personal experience here. Okay, so I had um, two horses that were at my place that both all of a sudden stopped eating the grain that I was feeding. Okay. And being a nutritionist and working for a feed company, you know, I, myself and our team, you know, we routinely will get calls from people and they'll say my horse quit eating the feed, you know, and, and they just automatically assume that something is wrong with the feed. Okay. Well, Clearly, I had been feeding the exact same feed. I had been feeding the exact same date code. Okay, so nothing had changed there. Um, I'm feeding feed that uses a locked formula policy. Okay, so I, I know that, that that's, you know, not the issue. Um, and then in addition to that, I had, you know, actually five horses on the place at that time. All five of them were being fed the exact same feed, but only two of them stopped eating it. Okay. So I had to kind of put my detective hat on. And um, the reason that they both stopped eating was actually um, just really by coincidence, okay? They both had two very different situations going on, OK? 
Okay. So the first one was a, a senior horse who had just recently had his teeth floated and his teeth done. And when the equine dentist got into his mouth and started looking, he realized that there was one tooth that was completely dead that was loose and needed to come out. And then a second tooth that was loose and about to come out as well. So that horse had to have both of those molars removed um, and then he also had not had his teeth done for a long amount of time. So this, you know, I haven't had this horse in my care for very long. So I, I don't know the last time that, you know, his teeth were actually floated, but it had certainly been um, a long time. And so this horse was not, he was eating his hay still, but he was not eating his grain. Okay. And I, you know, at first I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe his stomach hurts. And so I gave him some probiotics and that didn't seem to help. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe he needs it wet down into a mash. And so I made it into a mash and that didn't help. And, you know, but he was still eating his hay. Um, he had access to pasture and he was still going out and eating his pasture. You know, he wasn't losing body condition or anything like that. Um, and again, it had only been a couple days. And so I just, I kind of waited it out. And sure enough, about three days late goes by and he starts eating his grain again. No problem. Okay. Basically, I mean, there just was a lot of soreness that, that had come with, um, having to have those teeth extracted. Um, and then also having to learn how to chew without those teeth and with the new angles, um, that the, the dentist had put into his mouth. So, you know, there's just a lot to consider there that when you do, you know, take your horse to the vet and you get their teeth done, um, they're going to make some changes in there and that horse is going to need a little bit of time to adjust to it. Um, and then if any teeth had to be extracted, there's going to be some pain and, um, that'll be associated with that. And that horse again, just needs a little time to get by, get through that. So, that's what was going on with that particular horse. And then the the second horse that um, actually kind of quit eating her grain, she had been um, at the trainers and she ended up um, laying down and rolling and getting cast in her pen and just um, really got herself banged up and got a cut on her leg. And so um, I went ahead and picked her up from the trainer and brought her back and was just going to, um, you know, doctor her through that and make sure we got her healed back up before I took her back. Well, she had been on, um, you know, penicillin, genomycin, you know, so different antibiotics. She'd been on banamine. So you've got NSAIDs flowing through her. Plus she just got changed in her whole environment of where she was living, right? So she had just been, you know, for 60 or 60 days plus at, you know, the trainer's place living under, you know, with, with those horses in her pen, you know, that whole routine. And I go and uproot her and bring her back here and put her in a whole new environment. And she's in a pen by herself because I want to be able to take good care of her, right? So she's missing her buddies. Well, she goes off of, she stops eating as well. Okay. So she not only stops eating her grain, but she also stops eating, uh, the, the, she, she's actually on alfalfa cubes. Okay. So that's what the trainer where she's at, he feeds exclusively alfalfa cubes. And so I wanted to make sure that she stayed on the exact same diet. So I didn't have a whole bunch of, um, change for her. So she's back here, she's on alfalfa cubes and she's just not eating and just not cleaning them up. 
And so I thought, you know what, this, this truly is a probiotic situation. Okay. So not only has she got stress from going to a new environment, she's got the stress of the injury, right? She then has the digestive stress from the NSAIDs, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, so the banamine. Okay. And then on top of that, she's got more digestive stress from all of the antibiotics. So, you know, clearly she's, she is just getting hit from every angle, um, as far as digestive stress goes. So she was an absolute perfect, uh, candidate for getting a mega dose pre and probiotic into her. So with her, um, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I have ADR powder on hand. And so with her, I just, you know, got, got my ADR powder out and I started doing, you know, a full scoop twice a day. So, I mean, that's like a heavy dose of the ADR powder. And lo and behold, within 24 hours, she was eating her grain again. And within another 30, within 36 hours, she was completely cleaning up all of her cubes. Um, I mean, as much as I could feed to her, she was cleaning up. So her, her whole appetite came back. Um, and that just, just using that particular probiotic. So, you know, again, not all probiotics are created equal. Okay. So there are different strains that are effective for different reasons. ADR, um, is one that is just really, really, really effective in a very short time, especially if you're dealing with stress from antibiotics, uh, NSAIDs or from just general changes in, in location. So, you know, again, I think if you've got a horse that's dealing with an appetite issue, they've all of a sudden gone off feed, like there, there can be a lot of different reasons why that horse went off feed. So yes, you should be mindful of the feed that you're feeding, but don't be so quick to jump to the conclusion that, you know, it's the feed's fault. Um, make sure that you are looking at all of the different aspects in your program so that you can identify the real reason that that horse has gone off feed and then make the appropriate changes. So, with that, um, I, I think we've hit probably about 20 minutes and it is Friday evening. So um, I am going to hop off. Thank you guys for listening. If you have questions or any kind of topic that you want me to talk about, please um, leave me a voice message. Uh, if, if you're listening through your podcast app, if it'll allow you to leave a voice message, do that. Otherwise, you can email uh, info at acbluebonnet.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Feed Room Chemist. If you like what you hear, be sure to share with your friends, post to social media, or give us a review. And as Winston Churchill used to say, no hour of life is wasted that is spent in the saddle. So go saddle up.